Look at the Boga Honey Podcast. That's why I, I tried not to have camps on my bow. I don't have to deal with slippage or anything Shut like that. Up. Just put a new string on there, you're fine. What is Boga? But seriously, that's the dumbest thing ever. It, it go, I am all about Just strap it to your pack. Really appreciate the fact that you're from Michigan and not Georgia. <laughs> you don't want to be the next Mark Kenyon. No. I'm a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that spot's taken. You can see how pathetic Jared's face is right now. <laughs> because that's how it looked. It was just like, is this good enough? Before we begin today's episode, we're going to quick thank some of the companies that helped make this show possible. Not sure if you guys have heard, but HuntWise has come out with what it calls HuntCast 2.0. Recently, they partnered with Jeff Sturgis, who has decades worth of data, and they've taken that data to compile a prediction as to when you should be out in the woods. So they, they rank it on a scale of 0 to 100% or the way we prefer it is deer. So when it's a five-deer day, you better be in the woods. So check it out. Become an elite member and learn how to maximize your time in the field because really you can't put a price on a good hunt. Tree saddles. We've all heard of them and we love using them. Why? They're lightweight. They're easy to use. And if you use the right company... You can have everything you ever need for saddle hunting. In walks, trophy line. (laughs) Trophy line. (laughs) Just came out with a platform this year called the Mission Platform. And they came out with sticks to go with it. So why else would you want to use another company? Go to trophyline.com. Use the promo code BOGAHUNTINGTL20. (laughs) Worst code ever. (laughs) Longest code ever. But do it because you get a good discount. You get 20% off. And it's good stuff. TrophyLine.com. A lot of people ask us why we partnered with First Light, and it's because they have amazing systems, and the base of all those systems is around merino wool. Merino wool is great because it keeps you warm when it's cold out and cold when it's warm out because it pulls moisture away from your body, and best of all, it doesn't stink. No so stink. So if you're looking for a, a great new system, can't recommend them highly enough, FirstLight.com. We all know that Vortex is the leader in optics, so we can't say enough good things about them. We love them. We use them in the field every time we're out there. But what most people don't know is their clothing line is just as good. There's a brand new fall line that's just come out. We've got a couple of pieces from that line, and they are freaking awesome. So if you want to save 20% on your next purchase, head over there and use the promo code BOGA20 at checkout for 20% off. We're back at it again. Welcome, everybody, to the Boga Hunting Podcast. Prevent, pre- I do this every time. Presented <laughs> by. Presented by HuntWise. Uh, today, we have on Sam, Sam Soholt. Uh, but before we do, we also figured out how to add backgrounds to our recording. <laughs> yeah. uh, honestly, guys, I'm loving like the green screen uh, yeah. deer running in the background. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's definitely rutting right now. He's our boy oh, yeah. today. He's rutting hard. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a Michigan buck. That's what they look like up here in Michigan. That's what I've heard. Heard lots, lots of bucks and lots of big bucks is lots all I've of, ever heard. Yeah. And not very many hunters. No. So it, it's no. really the dream. Yeah. So, Sam, uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, a lot of people probably know who you are. You do a lot of stuff with public lands and everything. But for those who don't, you know, want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name's Sam Soholt. I have been a 
free professional freelance videographer and photographer for the last decade. And on top of that, uh, for the last three years have been a kind of a massive public lands advocate, um, trying to educate people on what they can do to help protect public lands. And then on top of that, raising as much money as possible to donate to those organizations that are out there fighting to protect those lands for us every single day. Yeah. And, but are you still, you're not a bus driver anymore. No, you're I mean, I, the guy in a van. yeah, I still, still own the bus, but it doesn't, uh, doesn't get the road time that it used to. Uh, yeah. Now I'm just a guy in a van, you know, down by the river. Yeah. So, um, a lot of things I want to get into, but I mean, we did bring up the bus and for maybe people who mm-hmm. don't know, like to explain the bus that we're referring to. Sure. Yeah. So the, what I was talking about with the, all the public land advocacy stuff, uh, it really stemmed off of the bus project, which in back in 2000, well, to, late 2016, I purchased a full-size school bus. And then uh, in 2017, I renovated the whole interior of it to kind of make it my mobile like hunting shack. And it was, it was the, the purpose behind it was to have a vehicle big enough and get enough attention to really share the message that I was trying to get across, which was our public lands are under attack and here's what you can do to help stop it. Um, and so that's how it started. And, uh, the bus kind of took on a life of its own and just spent, you know, the plan was to do a year and it was like two and a half years of, uh, Roman (laughs) in the bus and creating content, uh, talking about public land stuff. You did a good job. Like it came up actually the van and the bus turned out, I mean, they started like, wow, that's, uh, quite the project, but by the end of it (laughs) looked awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. So I, uh, I did the majority of the bus was all me. And then, uh, my brother and I did the build together. He did a lot of the van build, uh, cause the van was parked out in Colorado when we kind of tag teamed on that one. So he's, uh, he's way more of a, a carpenter than I am, but I, uh-huh. I made it, I made it work on the bus. <laughs> yeah. So, and well, the problem is like a lot of people learn from YouTube, but I would imagine there's not a lot of bus conversion to hunting rig uh like how to videos, how to videos no. out there <laughs> no you can there's a lot of conversion videos like how to make a bus look really pretty like i mean yeah. we're talking there's some buses out there that have to be 100 dollars. like i have no <laughs> idea like uh like i you know people send me a lot of times like links to these amazing bus builds and they're incredible but the places that i took my bus like the tiling in the shower would have fallen off the walls and like right. would, every, everything would have been destroyed. So I, I built mine like a tank, like everything was double and triple screwed and nailed. And like, it wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> Functional is what mine is. I love that. I can appreciate it. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind though, is like, did you get it stuck? Cause generally that's mm-hmm. what I'm thinking about. You know, when I go hunt that like, will it get stuck? So did you get that thing, you know, buried at all? No. So I never, I never buried it, but I was also, uh, very careful. Um, yeah. So it would, you know, rather than just being able to like rip down any two track or whatever, like I would a lot of times have to park. And if a buddy was with me, I'd hop in his pickup and we'd like go scout for a spot to park the thing. Or if I was alone, (laughs) I'd have to park the bus and then hike down a road and see if there's anywhere I could even turn around um, or how muddy it was or whatever. So there was a lot of factors that you have to think about when you're driving a full size bus around in the mountains. (laughs) So awesome, though. (laughs) So like, okay, so you, you bought this from what you found like an old elementary school that was getting rid of theirs or, or what? Like, where'd you find this? Yeah. Kind of. I bought it once removed from a, like a middle school. Yeah. Uh, so I bought it from a guy who him and his dad had bought it from the school district. 
and they were going to rip the motor out of it and put it in one of their work trucks. Well, it yeah. turns out, yeah, it turns out that, uh, they didn't need to replace the motor on the work truck. So now they had this school bus and, um, he had it listed for 5,500 bucks and I, uh, negotiated down to 3,500 Sweet, just, yeah, well, I, I wore him down. I, <laughs> I tried to trade for gear and guns and all sorts of stuff first. Yep. And I was like, do you hunt? <laughs> He's like, yeah. <laughs> like, all right, how about all, I got all this stuff that I can, you know, and he just got tired of it. He's like, how about 3,500 cash? I was like, sold. <laughs> how do you like yep. camo? <laughs> That's awesome. So yep. you got it. It was in, like, I, the other question that like, when I'm thinking about this, first thing that comes to mind is getting it stuck. Second is like, so you bought it used, like how many miles did it come with? And what's like average for a mm. bus? Like, do they go 500,000 miles or like hundred thousand miles? So, uh, it's kind of, so buses are decommissioned based on year, not based on mileage. Um, and so mine, the body had 190,000 miles on it. And, but the school district had done a complete rebuild on the motor and tranny 20,000 miles before I bought it. Okay. So I, I had this, you know, cat, uh, 3116 diesel motor with an Allison transmission completely rebuilt. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's so. sweet. And diesels last forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I run it. I I ran it pretty hard. I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> I can believe that. <laughs> like well, you went, you I toured everywhere. Make it up that That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like the it it hates inclines and it uh, the <laughs> and the uh, the the temp gauge is broken, and so what happens is it reads over the temp that it's actually running at, and so anytime I go up a hill, it's like it starts flashing and beeping at me, and like. Um, I actually posted a video on my Instagram uh, this last summer. We took it to an event in in Montana, and I was driving down a flat road, and it's beeping at me. And I figured out that if I hit it in a certain spot on the dash, I can turn that light <laughs> off and make the beeping stop. So uh, it's just yeah, a little little. It has a personality, and I had to learn how she uh, how she ran over the years. Sweet talker, you got a sweet talker. A a sweet yeah. talker yep. You know, once you figure <laughs> out, you know how to push your buttons a little bit. You know, if you if if you've got kids and you've seen the movie uh, Onward onward yep in that in that movie uh one of the brothers has like this old minivan he's got painted on there with like a oh what is it it's a unicorn with wings and everything <laughs> and he calls it guinevere yeah and there's like when he's trying to turn it on there's like a certain sweet spot it takes to turn yep. on the van and mm -hmm. he just talks to it once in a while and eventually sends it off he like, sweet sweets talks he it. sweet talks well it, i know? i thought when you're going to talk about movies i thought you're going to talk like compare it to like a herbie Love bug. Did your bus have a name? No, I just kind of became the public land bus. Uh, okay. I I kept trying to search for a name or something to come to me, and it never really happened. So it just, yeah. It's got to be that. You can't force it. Yeah, you can't no. force, you can't it, force it. Like, hey, guys, start yeah. calling this. Yeah. No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, bus driver turned, you know, um, advocate and actually kind of happened at the same time um but taking a step back i mean obviously you hunt um you've been how'd you get into hunting you know what what gave you your start yeah uh fortunate enough to grow up in a hunting family so my dad was a avid hunter um and you know our grandpa like on my dad's side was an avid hunter so when he grew up my both, you know, my grandpa lived in Wisconsin. My dad grew up in Northern Wisconsin. So it was all, you know, rifle whitetail hunting. And, and, uh, and then my dad started archery hunting, um, back in the late seventies and eighties. And, and then when all of his kids came along, <clears throat> he, uh, hung up the, hung up the bow and everything and started, we started 
upland hunting and then waterfowl hunting. And that's primarily what we did until I was in my early twenties was just chase ducks and like went really hard on that. I mean, it was like 30 dozen floating mallards and nine different <laughs> duck boats and, you know, calls everything. Like it was all the time. And then, uh, <clears throat> my brother chose to go to college cause he wanted to learn how to elk hunt. Uh, or he chose, chose his college location. I and was going to say, that would be a course <laughs> I'd love to take. Yeah. As well, if that was, yep. yeah. So he went, he went to university of Wyoming. I chose college based on waterfowl hunting. So I went to North Dakota state All right, and then, solid. yep. And then, uh, I went the out bu- and the I, buffaloes? Are you the buffaloes? uh, bison. Bison, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. That's great, man. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I duck hunted all through college, and then um, I went out on an elk hunt with my brother. Like I was just with the camera and hanging out, and yeah. and uh, I dro- basically drove home from Wyoming and bought a bow and started archery hunting the next fall. Right. So uh, it it was just you know like I just kind of kept getting more and more into everything, and it kept evolving. And then uh, after that first year that I was whitetail hunting, I had an internship with Midwest Whitetail. So it was like then I was uh, really into it. Yeah. Okay. So nice. that's a good, those are a good group of guys to, uh, really get into it with. That's, that's mm-hmm. probably a lot of good stuff you learned with those guys. Oh, for sure. I mean, if you look at like the people who have interned at Midwest Whitetail over the years, I mean, it's a straight farm league, straight launching pad for anything you want to do in the outdoor industry. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, like, look at the, you know, the hunting public guys, they were at Midwest Whitetail for a long time. Uh, Josh Neville, he's like a marketing manager for um, Bubba Blades and all this stuff. I mean, like everybody that I know that worked there is doing, if they wanted to stay in the industry, like they're doing it. Is that why we're not, you know, we're not really superstars like we believe we, we are? We got to get cycled in. We got to get in there. We got to get our foot in the door. <laughs> that's right. Hey, guys. No, that's that's awesome. Um, And so at this time, you're what? You're in getting into photography or like how, how do those kind of mm-hmm. things meet up? Because right now, I mean, you are an outdoor a lot of guys know you as this photographer for a lot of major brands, but how'd you get, how'd you fuse those things? Yeah. So the, uh, growing up, I was always interested in video more. So I didn't really, you know, think about photography all that much. I just, uh, you know, watched a lot of hunting shows and thought that that would be cool. And I made, you know, snowboarding and wakeboarding movies with my buddies and that kind of stuff. I mean, it was just, um, growing up, that's all we did. Um, and so, I had like the interest there, but I just didn't know how to turn that into anything. And it really took, that first year that I started archery hunting, uh, I, I shot two, ended up getting super beginner's luck. I shot two bucks in about a week and a half and shot like a little two by three for my first year. And then a week and a half later, I shot 135 inch five by five. And so I'm like to the moon, like jacked, yeah. like adrenaline full bore, like, like never came off that dump for a while. And, and, uh, because I was so jacked, I was consuming like mountains of hunting content like right. that fall like you know i'm watching you know hours a day of uh like outdoor channel and whatever sportsman's channel and uh a, i don't know probably a month earlier two months earlier a friend of mine uh, one of my best friends growing up had sent me a link to this website midwest whitetail um and with one of the videos of this guy larry zaka killing a hunter yeah. mid 190s deer back in right. 2010 or whatever it was and <clears throat> so I'm all fired up. I had seen this clip and I was at the point where I was so jacked. I just started cold calling and cold emailing anyone I could find an email for. So yeah, like, you know, I think I emailed like whatever info at sportsman's channel.com, <laughs> you know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, I'm an, I'm Support. a, I have a master's or I'm getting my master's in business and blah, blah, blah. This is what I do. And, uh, and, but 
I had remembered that link. And so I emailed Midwest Whitetail and Bill Winky replied within a couple hours and was like, Hey, we're always looking for interns. Why don't you come down over Christmas break and, and interview. And so I was, you know, like that was it, that was the click and drove down over Christmas break and, uh, of college that year and interviewed for, went to subway and grabbed a sandwich with Bill. And so <laughs> talked real, to him. real rigorous, real rigorous. Yeah. Interview. Yeah. Talked to him for like 15, 20 minutes. He's like, all right, well, I gotta go back to work and uh, drive safe, you know? So it was like, I had driven whatever six and a half hours down there and it's like, all right, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> so, um, but no, I got that job and then learned a ton. Uh, I mean, it was whether it, like basically every day for three months of the hunting season uh, was either was in a tree twice a day, either filming or hunting and then editing uh, like in the middle of the day and after the evening sit. So it was just like constant, just working on like creating stuff just knee deep all day oh yeah all day yeah, yeah. that's not bad no you know that that's and that that's pretty cool because what, what you've kind of done and what we've seen out of your work is you brought like a very um high-end look and uh feel to your pictures into the hunting community which you know hasn't been always the case for a long time i think social media has been great for for sharing the stuff that you do because you look at it and it's like man when you're the pictures you share it's like that looks like a sweet adventure pretty much every every time <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well i appreciate that yeah it was just uh you know kind of got that initial like education on the film side of things yeah um, at midwest whitetail and then um i really wanted like you know i at that time i just had a, like a camcorder right and i really wanted to get a dslr because that's like I was in the time where people were transitioning to using those for B-roll and, you know, we had a couple in the office, you know, that different people had bought or we were stealing it from bill or whatever, you know, to use for yeah. whatever. And, and, uh, so I actually, so the Midwest whitetail was sponsored by Hoyt. And so that right. summer before, when I was working at Shields, I had used my employee discount to get a brand new Hoyt rampage XT and, oh yeah, I know that you part. know, the full, the full setup and, and, uh, so after Midwest Whitetail, I moved to Colorado and my brother owned a backcountry hunting store, but they were Bowtech dealers. And so he kept giving me crap about shooting a Hoyt, you know, when he owns a Bowtech shop. And so <clears throat> I actually traded, I actually traded my Hoyt for a Colt AR-15. So okay. he, had a little, he had a little gun counter. So we did a transaction where I traded a gun for a bow and then sold the gun and bought a Canon 7D. And so ah, <laughs> it's, wow. like, it's just like big it's horse trade scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, it was like just enough money to get that camera. And, uh, um, you know, I was like going to use it for B roll, but since I had a DSLR now, like might as well take photos and just like kind of fell in love with the photography side of things and learning how all that went. And on every trip that I was filming, I just started shooting photos and I just tried to, you know, work on my craft and ended up getting good enough where on one of the trips, uh, someone took a chance on me and was like, Hey, you ever do this professionally. Like, you know, like I've got a new product seminar that we need a shooter for to come hang out and, um, shoot photos of all the new products and all the writers using the new products. So yeah. it was, yeah. So, yeah. so, so you, uh, you have a, you, I'm assuming what an MBA, you said master's in business. Mm-hmm. Um, but you haven't been formally trained in photography. No, like no, no. So yeah. I, uh, yeah, I bought that, um, can 7d and then I probably watched, 200 hours of YouTube videos. And then, you know, like I was in the phase where, uh, like I would, Instagram wasn't really a thing. Uh, I mean, yeah. it was just getting rolling like 2012. And, um, so I was, you know, on YouTube or, uh, I'm trying to think, I mean, Facebook even, you know, like yeah. some of the guys that I looked up to, like, you know, in the space 
And I would, I would see an image and be like, Oh man, that's incredible. Like, how do you, like, how do they do that? You know? And, and as I'm, it, it was kind of fun. Cause as I was learning the camera, like I'd go out and try to create a photo and it wouldn't turn out like anything like I had seen, you know, on right, right. the internet or whatever. But then like, because I was so like focused on trying to figure out all these shots, like sometimes it'd be like three weeks down the road, I'd be driving to work or whatever. And then like a light bulb would click and I'd be like, Oh, that's how they do that. And then right. I would go out and like, be like, is, and then like, you know, test my theory. And sometimes it was, and sometimes it wasn't. And then I go back to the drawing board, but it was just like, I don't know. It was like the right time in my life where I had the time and the passion to really figure it all out and just go for it. Yeah. That's interesting how that goes. I, mo most guys that we've had on that are um, into photography have not been formally trained. I don't know if right. any of the guys that we've had that are known for their, you know, film or photography have been, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But, you know, like you said, with resources like YouTube, um, forums and, and everything else, that's uh, there's a lot of information there for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's just uh, if you want to learn, you can learn. You know, I think there's definitely benefits for pe two people that go do those like go to film school or go to photography school. Um, yeah because they, I think a lot of times they can see like the bigger picture, like surrounding a project. Um, but what they don't get is the business savvy from film school right. or photography school. And that's really all anything is. It doesn't matter what industry you're in or what you're trying to do. You have to be able to network and sell and, you know, Mark do all of skills. Yeah. You have to do it. You'll do all of these things. So people actually see your stuff. Like yeah, I'll be, the I'll be the first to admit, I'm not the best photographer, nor am I, like technically savvy at all <laughs> right you seem like it though you know you you, you fooled me like i, I would say you're, you're pretty, uh, so you, you mentioned like um you know uh kind of figuring out your way in photography and everything else and kind of finding your way into hunting but how did you do, take those things how'd you use that to launch into this public lands advocacy what, what got you there what got you excited about public lands mm -hmm. and how did you get to where you are right now yeah so you know growing up uh, I grew up in South Dakota and we like, it didn't really matter. Like we didn't think about like hunting public or private. Like we just hunted where the birds were, whether it was right. pheasants or ducks or geese or whatever, you know, it was just like, Oh, there's, you know, birds using that field. Let's try to get permission or, Oh, that's public. We can go hunt that, you know? Yeah. And um, so, you know, went through college and uh, you know, obviously grew up in hunting, went through college and then moved out West and, you know, got to use, massive amounts of public land you know i was you know when i lived in colorado working with my brother you know we're hunting elk and deer and whatever on you know giant swaths of national forest and but i'm still like at this point i'm not thinking anything of it yeah and uh it wasn't until 2016 when um the the republican party was basically running on the process of land transfer right. and now I, I grew up republican my you know mom was a republican senator in south dakota my dad is super far-right republican like i have very like conservative values and yeah. but this like i'm i i would say i'm environmentally liberal and like i feel like we need to protect the things that we that are wild and places for people right. to go and so when this was all coming down the pipeline like they were marketing it and i look at everything from a business standpoint and so right. The, the federal government was marketing land land transfer as this beautiful state's rights issue sure. as a way as a way to give the rights back to the state and allow them to make the decisions on these uh, on what on how to manage these lands. 
And that's great. And I'm all for states' rights. I, you know, I would appreciate if states had more, way more rights in a lot of aspects. Yeah. But when it comes when it comes to these massive chunks of land, states don't. This is a very truncated explanation, yep. Yep. but st- but states don't have the resources to manage that and pay for uh, you know fire suppression or. Um, they're not going to make enough money off of grazing rights. They're not going to make enough money. You know, they can't do enough resource extraction. And so if the state can't make money on a piece of land and it's bleeding them out, like, what are you going to do with it? You're going to sell. They need to balance their budget. Their their incentive is to sell to balance. Right. And and if you look at history and like all of the land that was given to the states upon states becoming states, the vast majority of the land that was given to the states has been sold off, partitioned, like broken up. It's no longer um, a thing, really. Yeah. So, yep. so I've, you know, at this point, this is 2016. So I've been doing, you know, I had been doing uh, full time photography for about six, well, yeah, four years, five years, like fully on, like nomadic. And um, I was kind of looking for the next project. And when all this hit, like it just, it just didn't sit right with me. Like I couldn't, yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that there would be a future generation that didn't have get to have the same experiences that I had spending time out on national forests or BLM or, you know, wilderness areas. And so it just like struck a chord in me. Like I need to go do something to educate people about what's going on. And at this point, like I still like knew very little about the public land system and conservation yeah. programs and all this stuff, but you just dive in. Well, you were and, fired up about it. That's yeah. you sometimes what you just all you need really to get started. Right. Right. So I was all jacked up and I just, I kept trying to figure out how, how do you, you know, like, again, you look at it from a marketing standpoint, like, how do you, how do you get the attention needed to put behind a project like this and actually have people listen to what you're trying to say? And the bus (laughs) seemed like the perfect fit, you know, it's a 36 foot rolling billboard. So it was a way to, it it did two things. It, it, it allowed me to go after an idea that had been sitting there for a long time of converting a bus into a rolling hunting shack, but it yeah. gave it, it gave it purpose. You know, it wasn't just some guy out there hunting in a school bus. Yeah. I, um, I would imagine there's guys with fixed up beater cars that they're living out of to hunt. That, that oh, absolutely separated you from, from those guys. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, uh, yeah, I just got all jacked up about the possibility of losing these lands and wanted to, do whatever I could to help protect that. So, and then, you know, on top of that, um, and I don't know if you wanted me to get into this yet, but on top of that, the, basically the exact same time that I was working on building out the bus, um, my brother and I were starting public land tees, like as I was building the bus. And so we were working on designs and all the framework of everything. And, and, um, it was like two days after I drove the bus out West for the first hunt, we launched public land tees on the premise that $5 from every item we ever sell will go back to public land protection, uh, hunter access, conservation easements, and uh, basically donating to all of the conservation organizations that are out there protecting um, conservation and public lands every single day. No, I, that's that's been a cool thing. I didn't want mm-hmm. to touch on it because the land transfer um, idea was real challenging for me. Um, you know, I'm conservative guy, uh, states rights, you know, I've always kind of believed as important because the people closer to a situation generally can govern better. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so balancing that with the reality of, um, 
you know, states having this uh, incentive to sell off giant chunks of land just to balance their budget, which would allow them to be, uh, you know, in other areas, not so financially, um, you know, wise. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's just like, well, that's an easy thing. We'll just sell off some more land. And so, you know, I got to say, when that came out, that was that was challenging just for me, like um, my political, my my personal political philosophy was challenged a little bit by that. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, like like you mentioned, I, at the end of the day, it's like, what are the incentives and, and what are they aimed for? You know, um, so public lands to be preserved, we got to do what we can to, you know, incentivize that to, to stay public rather than, you know, let people like states, you know, w- when things aren't financially good and coming from Michigan, we've had this quite a bit where the, the state yeah. doesn't balance its budget. They got to figure out ways to do it. Um, and, you know, historically, like you said, uh, public lands are an easy thing to just just cut. Chip away yeah. at. And yeah. Eventually yeah. they're all gone. Right. I mean, unfortunately, you only get to sell that land once if you're the right. state. because <laughs> They don't usually buy it back. Right? No, no, never happens. I think it's time for a break. Yeah, we we were getting long-winded. Yep. It's time for a break. We're going to thank a couple of our uh, couple more sponsors. Who doesn't love smoked meat? Jared? Communists. That's <laughs> who doesn't like smoked meat. If you're not a communist, check out Gorilla Grills. So whenever you go out to the field and you procure your own game, mm-hmm. you can bring it back and press your wife, your husband, your kids, your, your friends, fam- friends, your family, anybody with your smoked meat. Check out GorillaGrills.com for all your smoking needs. Everybody knows that arrows are the lifeblood of the hunting industry. If you're a bow hunter, your worth is measured in the amount and the quality of arrows that you have. If you have good arrows, and a lot of them, you are arrow rich. And everybody wants to be arrow rich. Everyone wants to be arrow rich. In one way of doing that, using vector arrows. Why? They are the best. They are tough. You can go to their website, enter all your bow specs in. And they'll spit out the exact arrows that you need. Check them out, VectorCustomShop.com. And be arrow rich. If you're looking for quality, handmade, traditional archery equipment, look no further than Bivouac Bow Co. Jim and Georgia, actually we had them on the podcast, episode 93, check it out. Handmade bows, they have years of experience, their machining is precise, and their products are beautiful. Check them out at BivouacBowCo.com. And finally, I want to introduce a new sponsor of the show. Wild Pursuit Wellness makes premium CBD products. It's all natural, broad spectrum CBD, meaning that there is less than 0.0% THC. It only has two ingredients, CBD and MCT coconut oil. It can be ingested or used topically on the skin to help with muscle soreness or joints. We we use it a lot after long hikes or, or sits out in the woods. It's grown and extracted right in the Rocky Mountains, and it's shipped directly to you anywhere in the United States. It's great CBD at an extremely low price, and it can be even lower if you use promo code BOGA for 20% off at checkout. Check them out, wildpursuitwellness.com. No, that's interesting, because even just growing up, I didn't really, like you said, think about public land. Um, I just thought I knew that there is it would existed my grandpa <laughs> land and then there's what we just always referred to as state land ah, it's right. back on state right. land you know I never thought about there's different parts where we hunt that are federal you know there are different parts that are commercial forests that are available for you know public use and all these different things but all I knew at the time was that's public land other people are allowed to go there this is you know, my grandpa's land, because that was basically all right. I, where I hunted growing yep. up. That's only yep. where we can go. Which uh, we did receive a little bit of a lesson on that this past turkey season. How so? So because of COVID. Oh, yeah. Um, 
you couldn't camp on what was it state land state land was shut down camping state- because mm. covid rates of- and outdoor camping is right yeah so we yeah. decided we just we decided to go uh, about 10 miles no not even 10 not miles, even a couple miles five miles west of where we had planned on camping and camped on federal land which was allowed which was allowed and oh nice <laughs> so even though they're five miles it was apart, a little inconvenient not a lot even not, but, but just it was actually it it forced us to expand our our turkey camp a little yep. bit we got in a rut and you know i feel like we're out of that rut <laughs> You know, Thanks, they do the COVID. same old, same old every year. Yep. Jared sends one over the back of a big old gobbler. You know, I typically yep. I'm putting one down. Showing you know what? <laughs> now, now that we're on turkey hunting a little bit, Sam, I got to uh, I got to give oh, you a little bit of a prop. You know, this is true. I, I forgot all about this. Go yeah. ahead. So if anyone doesn't know, uh, the BHA holds a strutting and clucking turkey calling contest usually every spring. Yes. Uh-huh. And this this past year, Sam was that was it? Were you a regional? judge yep regional okay. judge you sent me to the finals he did this he did. past you, spring you like i mean that skyrocketed just, jared's career yeah so you're my whitetail or my, <laughs> you're my midwest whitetail that's right <laughs> dude you're you were good like i it was funny it's funny because right when we got on the podcast i was like god you look familiar i was like we've we've met before no it's because i just watched you call <laughs> if you made some sweet clucks you'd be like i oh, believe yeah, i, I know brought that the uh, shakira effect you, that's the that's the technique. yes i think you uh, you know so here's the thing though and i we've said this before but the winner he got he used yeah, too much yeah, yeah. outside flair to win i feel like if we would have dressed you up you know gone for a little bit razzmatazz you know lady gaga showed up you'd been better. no if we would have dressed you shakira and then you could have been both parts you could have well, been calling and gobbling if i knew it was a costume competition here's the thing though i i, I take half credit i filmed them Right. Nice. I held the yep. phone. You did. <laughs> and without one, that, that did, as, yeah. as a film guy, you understand that's pretty important. You can appreciate that. Right? I do. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Yeah. So you, uh, you know, it's funny though. It's good. That was a real win for me too. When you did that, you want, here's why. <laughs> yeah. So forever I'm like, man, he's better than me when we, we call. And I'm like, man, I, I must be worse than everybody else. Cause I figured you were just like, I, I haven't heard a lot of other people in person call other than you and a handful <laughs> And I'm always like, maybe I'm just terrible. But I think I'm just about average and you're above average, which made me feel better than being terrible. National runner up, I guess. National runner up. First of the worst. Lost to the Tiger King. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. you know, that, I'm glad you picked, brought yeah, that up. I wanted to bring it up. I really did. I was trying oh. to find the right spot to do it. Yeah, no, that's perfect. I'm glad you did. That's, uh, that's great. You know, it's, so really you should blame Netflix for losing. You know, absolutely thanks a lot <laughs> once a lot again tiger king ruined another life you know yeah. what i'm saying uh yeah so um turkey hunting oh yeah public land tees yeah yep. so where'd you get this idea from because you were one of the first guys to do some of these like kind of funny cool shirts that are more hunting related uh so actually josh and i have wanted to do like a hunting apparel you know t-shirt brand for a long time and just ne- there was just never really like the right time and again like the right message behind it uh, or purpose because yeah. there's 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 quite a few like hunting apparel brands you know right like, pile of t-shirts but um, it just fit with the whole project and it just gives us an outlet to be kind of creative in the designs and come up with you know fairly ridiculous uh, designs that still like they're not too obnoxious where you're still going to want to wear them. But, right, right. But they're like they're enough different where you know if people see them they're going to ask you about them and then it's uh, a conversation starter. So um, no, it's been fun. Like we've got uh, 
Um, more designs coming out this spring. Got a huge conservation project coming up uh, at some point this spring that I can't really talk about much right now because it's in the, the very baby steps. But I think right. it'll be I think it'll be pretty cool. So um, maybe the once we get that, is it's it's pro public lands. That's the hint, right? Like, yeah. That could, yeah. 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 Like yeah. I figured that was a safe bet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very pro public lands, pro conservation. Um, yeah. Should raise quite a bit of money for uh, different conservation organizations. So. Um, no, super really jacked cool. about that but yeah i mean with like honestly the t-shirt thing a it helped keep gas in the bus and right. b you know now the van and helped with the the van build and everything um but uh really like the five dollars from every shirt going back like we've been able to like obviously donate all that back but really leverage that into some really cool projects you know doing um you know i think from shirts alone i'd have to add it all up like just what t-shirt sales have done over the last three years, you know, somewhere in the twenty-five, thirty thousand dollar range, maybe a little bit higher than that. Yeah, nice. um, but then, like you know, the pro the stamp it forward project, if yep. if uh, you follow along with that, yep. uh, you know, that's raised uh, sixty-five thousand dollars just in the last two years. Explain so, that actually before you go on. I want to explain that it's a pretty cool project. Yeah. So, uh, you know going along, like you start to learn, like if you'd really dive into the public land side of things, you start to learn about all these um, conservation tools that are already in place. And yeah. so, uh, you know, a lot of times you don't really need to reinvent the wheel. Like, uh, you know, if you want to help conservation, go buy more guns and ammo because there's an 11% right. excise tax on that. Deal. That's the Pittman Robertson Act, you know, yeah. um, or, you know, like offshore oil exploration pays for the land and water conservation fund, which is then donated to, you know, conservation easements and public you land. You don't hear about that as much. No. And that's, that's one I want to do a lot more talking about this upcoming year because we had a huge win um, last year where the land and water conservation fund has been fully and permanently funded at $900 million a year. So it's going to allow organizations to pull in some of that money, match funds, find donors and stuff, yeah. and, and, and really do uh, amazing amounts of work. So the, but the, the other program that is one of the most streamlined, like money on the ground programs yeah. is the, the federal migratory bird act or the duck stamp. Yeah. And the reason for that is if you're a waterfowler by law, you have to buy a stamp to go duck hunting or waterfowl hunting, but 98% of the purchase price goes by law has to be used for purchasing wetlands, expanding the national refuge system, purchasing conservation easements, um, and basically like donating all of that money has to be spent on wetland habitat. Yeah. And not only not the, the the coolest part about that is not only does that help migratory bird species, but it's good for soil erosion, water quality, um, and 700 other species of animal like yeah. a benefit from the Federal Migratory Bird Act. So, including the white-tailed deer. Including the white-tailed deer. We, we, we find ourselves <laughs> in uh, the marsh and the, yes, the wetlands we uh -huh. fairly often uh, in pursuit of the, old, the big old buck that's much like going behind yeah. us. I mean, nothing better than a big old swamp buck. Oh, stinky swamp, swamp donkey. donkey. Yeah. <laughs> See, I always thought you were just purchasing a, you know, an annual stamp for five bucks or whatever that's just a different one every year and so yeah and actually that's a good so this is my first year ever buying a stamp i bought one this year mm -hmm. nice. i have never been duck hunting um yep. i wanted to you know part of raise money and there was a spot that i hunt where i walk by a pond during duck season oh, yeah. for, for deer hunting and i was like it'd be sweet to just uh peg it with my bow because you know that'd be sweet right um 
And so I, I got it. I got the stamp, but like I, there was not a lot of explanation of, around what you do with the stamp, what it's for. Um, so it was kind of confusing for, for a first time buyer. Yeah. So uh, the way, the way it works, and I'm sure you figured it out, but the way the stamp works is um, you, you're going to have to have, this is mostly nationwide. You're going to have to have a, the state's small game license first. Yep. Or and or like the state's migratory bird license um, or migratory bird stamp. Some states have their own like stamp or habitat stamp or yep. whatever it is. And then you have always have to have the federal migratory bird stamp. And then you have to sign it. And a lot of times states will make you attach it to your license. Um, I taped mine to the butt of my gun, so I never forgot it. Nice. Uh, but it mm-hmm. it uh, um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool concept. And, and most people, including me until the last, you know, like I didn't really think about where that money went, what it was used for. It was just something you had to buy. Like, you know, it was like, it's kind of like a concert ticket. Like, Oh, I just exactly. need this every year. You know, like I need to go play if I have this. So, um, the, it was just kind of fun to take an already existing tool and just help people understand how powerful that tool is. Yeah. And, you know, like we, year one, we bought a thousand, um, and the way, the way we have it work is, and it's crazy that it works and I appreciate everyone that donates, but we just ask for direct donations and okay. we just, it, we, we have people send us money directly, whether it be through Venmo or PayPal, or we actually created a, a item on our website where you can buy it. It's $25 even. And with every single dollar that we get, we go out and buy additional duck stamps mm. and then, and then uh, companies donate too. So, you know, like Savage Arms did 2,500 bucks, Boss Shot Shells did $6,600, which, you know, is 200 and whatever stamps. Yeah. Um, the, um, who else? Onyx Maps. I mean, there's like uh, so many companies jumped in on this and either matched our donation at 2,500 or yeah. surpassed it, you know, and then there was a whole bunch of individuals that would do like 10 stamps or 20 stamps and donate 250 or 500 bucks. It was amazing. Yeah. And so we, like I said, every dollar we get, we go out and buy duck stamps. And then as we get a pile together, starting at a later date, typically two, three weeks after we kind of start the campaign, we've got a stack of, you know, whatever it is, you know, five, six, 700 stamps sitting there. We start giving those out with every item we sell on our website. And cool. what yeah. it allows us to do is because we give $5 away from on our website, it's more, it's more. <laughs> so we just like pile it on top. So it's leveraging one fundraiser into another and everybody wins. That's that NBA. That's that NBA paying off right <laughs> yeah, there. Something like that. <laughs> no, I, I like that a lot. Um, and that's pretty cool that you can you can buy more than a stamp. And it's just it strikes me as crazy that there's such a cool program in place. And there's like you know w- without people like you, the the marketing I suppose isn't great. Um, you know more people like I feel like that should be part of and maybe it was I just don't remember part of like hunting hunter safety class or or yeah, anything yeah, like and you that. Would, you would think it would be and, and and they definitely touch on it in the duck stamp and most but mostly like oh legally you have to have a duck stamp mm-hmm. um and right and and the federal government tries to market it but like who's paying attention you know who's listening to the federal government on like a cool that's conservation not their, that's initiative. not their sweet spot no you know and then on top of that like most of the people that are marketing how important the duck stamp is are waterfowl organizations or waterfowl hunters. And so they're just speaking to the same, you know, a million people every year that are buying a duck stamp or a million and a half. And, and so what kind of the goal behind what we've been trying to do is because we do so much like Western big game hunting it, I'm hoping that a big chunk of my audience who doesn't duck hunt 
learned about the duck stamp and either bought one or bought a shirt from us or donated or, you know, whatever. So, and we've seen a lot of that and it's been, it's been cool to see, you know, a bunch of my friends that never pick up a shotgun any year have sent, you know, 50, hundred bucks for the cause. And like, yeah, just here, you know, good, good job. Go buy more, go buy more duck stamps. Awesome. Well, and it's really, and I'll, I'll be honest because I, I saw you start doing this and that's where I started thinking about like duck stamp that became on my radar. Um, and at this, around the same time, I had listened to a podcast with Remy Warren mm. talking about uh, duck hunting with his bow. And I'm like, man, I should, you know, that's where I got the idea. I'm like, I should have my bow, my a, a stamp with me because I'm not going to bring back it. You here, never know. So I might as well that's try right. the duck while I'm <laughs> out yeah, there. I remember that. You said, I'm going to get a duck stamp, small game, anything I can get so that, you know, if I get out. When I'm hunting, I'm deer, truly yeah, hunting. You're hunting out there. Yeah. You know? Whatever you can. That's the way to do it. Yeah. 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 So it was just like to say, I mean, the things you're doing pays off because that that actually did stick in my head. Your 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 duck stamp program, which pretty well, good, cool. yeah, that's awesome. That's what we like to hear. So, um, public lands advocate, bus driver. Now you got the van going. Um, mm-hmm. What 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 led you to the what? How'd you make the jump from bus to van? I mean, that's downsizing or or what? Well, yeah, it is downsizing for sure. And like the, uh, the choices I have to make on what I bring along on trips, like the bus, it's incredible. Like I could, the, the first two years that I had it, I could pack for, uh, antelope, elk, mule deer and whitetail and waterfowl minus decoys, but everything I could jam in there and have it tucked under the beds. And then like, Oh, season change. I just open the bed, pull out whatever I needed. That's sweet. (laughs) So, uh, yes. Yeah. So the, uh, the van has been great though, because we teamed up with Quigley four by four. And so Josh and I bought, you know, a stock passenger van, 15 passenger van. I drove it to Pennsylvania, had four wheel drive put on by Quigley four by four. And so you get a three inch lift, full four wheel drive. Um, and we threw on, you know, big meaty tires on it Obviously. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, but it was, it was just kind of a way to transition out of a bus that really can't like the capability of a bus is very low. It's an amazing base camp. It's, you know, by far like the best base camp I've ever built, yeah. but the, uh, the van, like we can go anywhere. Uh, like the, the Cape, like we were both surprised by the capability of a four wheel drive van. Like you don't really think about it, you know, the pickup, you can go everywhere and whatever anyway. Right. But the, the way the weight distribution is on the van and like, because you sit so far forward, like over the hood, basically sure. yeah. you can really pick around stuff. And when you're driving through, like you, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's amazing how far you can get back into places. That van maneuverability. Yes. You know, we, took a, <laughs> we took a van to spring break. Uh, yeah once. we did in high school yeah, we, we uh that's took a, nowhere near a hunting trip on the back no tracks it ended all, up but... being some fishing but that's but but the but i just remember thinking at the time that van is awesome you know and i had a van, you had a van. i had a van yeah. his was what was yours the econo line eco and the ford eco line yeah yours yep. is yep. too right no we've got the oh, chevy see. express Ooh, yep. sorry that's that's it's okay that's my bad no. you know <laughs> got a ford, ford guy, guy got a gm guy from michigan yeah it's true ford yeah. Um, so you bought it. How long did it take to, to fix that puppy up? Looks good by the way. Thanks. Yeah. So the van, uh, we bought it in September and then kind of used it just as a four wheel drive passenger van that first fall. Yeah. It was actually great. So I got married, had the van conversion done, uh, at the end of September, I picked it up whatever September, like 29th. And then I drove it back to, um, North Dakota and I was yeah. getting married, getting married, uh, in Minnesota, just over in Detroit lakes. Um, but yep. we use, we use the van 
to haul all my groomsmen over to the wedding. <laughs> and then it we in the middle of a snowstorm, so we got to use the four-wheel drive. And then nice. the road, the dirt road, we um, had an outdoor reception under a big tent. Nice. Cool in the middle of a snowstorm in October in Minnesota, but uh, the, yeah. road, the, the road was so muddy and the the grounds that we were going to have everybody park on were so muddy that we had to shuttle everybody. So my dad and uncle took turns shuttling people in the van back and forth nice. to the reception. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, did uh, left it like a passenger van until January, took it down to Arizona on a coos deer trip. And then we drove it back and uh, gutted it out last January. And then, um, COVID hit and uh, I wasn't traveling because of COVID restrictions yep. and all that stuff. And so the van was out in Colorado and Josh just like got to work. So he um, put all like the sound dampening in and the insulation in the walls. And then we installed the deck system or he installed the deck system and the cargo glide and then the bed frame. And then um, it kind of sat like that for a little while. And then in June, I went out for uh, eight days and we like from, basically when we woke up and until like it was too dark or we were like out of stuff to do that day like we were ripping on it so Love that. um, awesome. yeah it was cool what was the hardest part of building that doing that build the van it the the biggest struggle is it, it, there's not a straight line in the whole damn thing so it it's shaped <laughs> it's shaped it's shaped like a football so if you're looking at it head on the, the walls come out and then they curve up and then the roof line also curves out and up so like it's like a when bubble. Try, yeah. When you try to put stuff on the walls, like, especially like the ceiling, like all those ceiling boards, like you're just, it was just like jamming stuff and then shifting, you know, eighth of an inch to try to make it back to straight and whatever. It was just a, a real pain in the ass, but no, I can believe that. Yeah. But it, uh, no, it turned out, turned out awesome. Turned out the way we wanted it. And, uh, we've got a whole year of adventures coming up in it. I, that's, that's awesome. it's going to be fun to follow along. And I will say this, I have experience, uh, um, working on a customizing a, a car do you know this when uh when i was 16 i uh was up at our our cabin in big rapids and i was sent to go get gasoline for the jet skis and four wheelers and stuff uh we had an old four wheeler or jet ski whatever go get gas so i load up all these uh these gas cans in the back of my mom's uh minivan i don't know why mm -hmm. i don't know where my dad had a truck i don't know where he was but anyways throw them in the back of the minivan drive fill them up and i'm I'm driving back i'm like yeah it's gonna smell like gas let's just leave the windows open a little bit well as i'm driving i i took a turn a little tight and and you know this having driven in that van with me sometimes i'll take a tight you know i'll, I'll really take a tight <laughs> curve and things will spill and I, I i did that and i'm like driving i'm like kind of smells a little gassy in here man really and driving a little farther it's like really gassy in here Finally, I'm like, I got to open all the windows or I'm going to pass out before I even get back. Well, it turns out I had dumped the entire one of the one of those five gallons. <laughs> five gallons. I mean, it was literally there was there was so much gasoline in the car. It was above the that had not only soaked into the carpet, it was oh. saturated. It was above it. And I'm like, you know, first of all, I feel like that's kind of dangerous. Right. So well, I, yeah. opened the, I got there. I opened everything up, took the seats out, like without trying to make like a spark or explode myself. Um. And I had to re, uh, not upholster, but re-carpet oh, wow. the entire thing, which actually turned out to be super easy. You, well, you unscrew some things. I threw on this. I found online just like car carpet, cut it with an X-Acto knife, put it in, screwed everything else. You couldn't even tell the difference. Really? Yeah. It wasn't that hard. Did you just forget to cap them or was it? 
Yeah, well, no, I, I capped it, but it tipped. And you know those old caps where it's they're kind of crappy. You try to turn it around, the, the little hose around so it's facing up. And it's still, I mean, if it falls on its side, that gas is coming out. You right? hate to see yeah. it. And uh, you, really, you really do you hate really to see do. it. Yeah. Man, now, I still, now all the new gas caps, you just spill a little bit every time. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> just a little bit gets on, in your car and you just smell it for like two weeks. But I left it open and the, the air, it all evaporated. I didn't have to do anything. It just left it for a long time in the sun in the summertime. So solid. Nice. So yeah, like next time you do a build, you know, if you need carpet. Perfect. Oh, I'll, I'll come find you. Yeah, yeah, I got a guy. I can That's clean it. gas up pretty well too if you need that too. <laughs> <laughs> so um uh Sam, I mean we're coming up on time here. Uh but for people who want to uh you know get involved, who wanna help mm -hmm. you yeah. with public lands advocacy, who want an awesome shirt who wants to just follow your, you know, some of the cool content that you're pushing out, where can they follow, find you and follow you? So if you want to help out directly, you can follow us at uh, Public Land Tees on both Facebook or Instagram. Um, and then our website is just publiclandtees.com. Um, and again, five bucks from every item we sell goes back to conservation. Um, if you want to follow me, uh, my Instagram is at Sam Soholt. And then we also have a YouTube channel that is currently under my name, just Sam Soholt. But we're uh, working on a rebrand on that just because it doesn't make that much sense to have my brother under my name on my on our YouTube channel. So. <laughs> I was pushing uh, for James Zanstra and Jared. I needed to. We did Boga instead because, you know, that's much more clear. <laughs> I like no, it. That's great. Well, yeah. well, thank you for coming on and for um, really thank you for, for the uh, advocacy and the, yeah. the stuff that you do. Um, it does make a huge difference. Like I said, for me personally, um, duck stamps. Didn't know about them. Got into them yep. because of you. So thanks for doing that um, and keep it up. Yep. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, guys, and really appreciate being able to talk about all this stuff. So, um, yeah. Sounds good. We'll see you soon. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boga Hunting Podcast. If you guys like what you hear and want to follow along on what we're currently up to, hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on and follow us on Instagram at Boga Hunting. Join us next week and we'll see you then.